Hey, thanks for being here. Again, my name is Benger, um, one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace. If we have not met, uh, glad to meet you. Um, let me do this um, since we've, we've kind of already uh, been going a little bit today. Um, Josh uh, talked a little bit about this, this series that we've been in. So here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to read um, the, the text where we're going to be, and I'm going to ask you to put your, your thumb in that because we're going to get to it in a few minutes. But what I, I want the text that we're going to be looking at to really color everything right from the beginning of what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Uh, if you can turn there in your Bible or in your device. If you uh, forgot your Bible, there's one underneath your seat. Uh, it's a blue Bible. We'll be on page 1068. Uh, if you don't have a Bible um, and, and, and you need one, that Bible is yours. Do me a favor, take a pen, put your name in it. We want those Bibles to walk out the door, and um, that's just our gift to you. Um, so as we read this, would you do me a favor, if you are able, would you please stand? Um, because uh, we do believe that this is the Word of God and it is our authority. Would you please stand as we read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 14 through the end of the chapter? For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. And again, keep your thumb in that uh, passage there, because uh, we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes. Um, but uh, believe it or not, this is related. I'm a fan of Chipotle. Any, any Chipotle fans in this room? Okay. Um, so just, we don't have time for this, but it's really important because Mexican food is, is, is super important. So some of you are Chipotle. Anybody here like Cafe Rio fans? Who here is like, man, I just need Cafe Rio. All right. Some of you are raising your hand twice. Um, uh, what else? I mean, uh, Costa Vida. Anybody Costa Vida? All right. How many of you would say, man, when I need good Mexican food, I have to leave the state of Utah? Okay, there we go. There we go. Um, I love Chipotle. Uh, Chipotle began in Denver, Colorado, where I am from. And uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was introduced to Chipotle. My uh, siblings, they went to uh, school. I lived in the mountains. They went to school in Denver, uh, graduate school. And they um, found this restaurant. Benjamin, I know you're going to love it. So I went to Chipotle. They brought me there when I was visiting them. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, fast forward a, a couple of years um, to my second year in college. And um, this was at the beginning of, of Chipotle. 
Chipotle, so it was still in Denver, and they started expanding a little bit outside of Denver. I went to school about 60 miles from Denver when I was in college, and I played soccer. Now, we would arrive early before school started for the fall for preseason uh, in soccer, and uh, we, we stayed in the dorms, we ate in the cafeteria, and it wasn't that great of a cafeteria to begin with, but during preseason when it was just, you know, the volleyball players, football players, soccer players, not all of the cafeteria was open. So, so there wasn't a lot of choices. We were, we were working hard, um, two practices a day, and we just wanted some good food, and there wasn't always good food to be had. Obviously, we should have been more grateful, but don't judge. We were in college. Now, I found out from a friend um, that there was this new restaurant opening up downtown in Colorado Springs near our college. And, and, and they sent me this thing called Chipotle. I was like, I love Chipotle. And, and as sometimes happens, um, they opened up their doors for a few days before their grand opening just to kind of test it out, make sure everything was working right. This is the beginning of, of kind of their franchises, and so they wanted to make sure everything was working right. So you could go in, you could order a meal, pretty much anything you wanted for free, and, and they just wanted to know how, how was it. They wanted some feedback and make sure their staff knew what was going on. So, so my friend took me there, and it was, it was amazing. It was just as good as I'd remembered. I loved it. Now, I would have been a terrible friend had I not gone back to my team and said, listen, we don't have to eat here. You know, it's not open for breakfast, but, but Chipotle lunch and dinner. We just got to go downtown. There's this free food, and it's really, really good. Now, I didn't, I'm not a great cook. I'm not, I'm not good at all of this stuff, so I don't know why it is that their chicken is just amazing. I mean, the guacamole, actually, I, I've done a pretty good job of, of, of doing their guacamole, but I love it. Um, you know, the way that they do that rice, I don't, I don't understand it all. I can't make home, homemade tortillas, but I knew it was good. And so when they're asking, well, what is this chipotle? It's just, just come and see, all right? Just, just see what it's about. And they came, and they loved it. And for three days, we ate for free. Now, friends, I, I think you can see where we're, we're going with this. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life has not just been changed, it has been radically transformed, both here on this earth and for eternity, because of the person and the work of Jesus. This is the greatest news anybody could ever hear. The problem is, we don't always treat it that way. Just, just today, uh, I, was telling, I was telling Josh uh, about a new restaurant Jennifer and I went to this weekend, and, and it was really good, and it turns out there's a place in Bountiful. So the first thing I want to tell my friend Josh about is, man, there's this new restaurant. Maybe we should get lunch there sometime. But when it comes to telling people about Jesus, honestly, we don't always do a great job. And yes, some of it has to do with technique, but, but honestly, some of it has to do with motivation. And, and I think part of the reason is, is, is we don't always understand our role in this. It's something that we want to do, but, but, but I, I don't know everything. Maybe you're like me, and you're socially awkward, and, you, and conversations don't always go well. And, and how do I do all this? And we have people over. How does this work? And I get that. But the thing is, this is core to who we are as followers of Jesus, and this is core to who we are as a church. Both the universal church, the big C church, and who we are as a local body of believers here at Flourishing Grace Church. 
Um, we're going to flip really quick. Uh, I told you we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Keep your thumb there and then flip over to Matthew 28. It'll also be up around on the screen if you just want to follow on there. But whenever we talk about the purpose or, or the why of the local church and, and, and the church in general, this is the passage that usually comes up. And the word that we're going to use today when we talk about why we gather, about what the task God has given us to do, we're going to use this word mission. Now, mission is not found often in, in the Bible. It's found a few times in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, and not usually around the way that we're going to use it. But followers of Jesus, pastors and theologians especially, for hundreds of years have, have used this word mission, which comes from the Latin roots to send, as, as a, a good way to encapsulate what is the task, what is the job, why does God have us here as a church? And so this is what we're going to talk about today. Now, in Matthew 28, verse 16, um, Jesus has risen again from the dead. Matthew is one of the uh, biographies that we have of Jesus, one of the Gospels, uh, the good news, the, the, the accounts of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. And at this point, Jesus has died for us since he's risen again from the dead, and, and his followers are, are kind of freaked out because Jesus is not who they thought he was. They had some glimpse into it, for sure. But it's interesting, when you, when you look through the Gospels, when you read the accounts of, of Jesus and his followers, many times Jesus' followers didn't really understand who Jesus was until he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And even then, we'll see, we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing as followers. This is, this is what happens. He comes to them. In verse 16, he says, Now the eleven disciples, right, there were twelve, but Judas betrayed Jesus and then took his own life. They went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, just as a, a quick aside, if you're making this stuff up, right, if, if Jesus died and, and, and we're, we're sad that Jesus died, we thought he was a great leader, we thought he was some sort of rescuer, we thought he was going to kick out these Romans, but, but man, he died and we're sad, but we need to make up this story in order for, for, for his memory to live on and this movement to live on. If you're just making this up, you don't include that, deal in, that detail in there, but some doubted. And if you're Matthew, maybe if you do include it, you at least say, well, some doubted, but not, not Matthew Levi. No, he was, the whole time, he knew, he knew, right? But Matthew includes this deal, detail because this happened. And Jesus came to, to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus begins this, what's known as the Great Commission, this, this task. And really, again, remember, it's, it's more than a task, it's a mission, because to, to have a mission, it's not just something that you're doing, but there's a sender, right? Jesus is sending. There's the, the people who are sent, it's, it's the 11, but, but by implication, it's all of those who are followers of Jesus. There's a place or a people they're sent to, all the nations, and there's, there's a task. And Jesus starts it, and he says, listen, all authority has been, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? I'm risen again from the dead. I'm king of the universe. God the Father has given God the Son this authority, and now I'm sending you. And what is, what is Jesus sending them to do? To make disciples of all nations. These are followers of Jesus making new followers of Jesus. And, and how do they do this? They baptize and they teach. 
In the New Testament, what we see, this pattern for baptism is as soon as somebody is a follower of Jesus, they say, man, I've, I've heard this good news. I know I am broken, but I know I have life in Jesus because what he did for me on the cross, this is incredible. I'm in. Right? At that point, they're baptized. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying is, is get people to follow me and then teach them to follow me their whole life long. And at the end, he says, I'm with you always. Because Jesus would send his Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he'd send his Holy Spirit, because this is not a task we are doing. It's a task that, that Jesus has given us to do. It's a mission. Karl yeah. Barth, a, a German um, pastor and theologian in the 20th century, was, was kind of the first to coin this phrase, missio Dei, that, that there's a mission that God is on, and there's a mission that he's given the church, and really, in many ways, they're the same mission, but obviously we're not doing the same thing because Jesus has done what only Jesus could do, right? But, but in a very real sense, we own this mission of rescue because Jesus has rescued us. And Jesus who said, go, spread this news, make disciples, point people to me. Now, one of the issues with this is that's a big matzo ball, Right? This is all you have to do today. Go out those doors, get the whole world to follow Jesus. Easy? One of two things often happen when we hear this. I mean, we're inspired, and maybe you've been a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I know I should do this, but this seems, this just seems so huge. I don't even know where to start, and so we do nothing. Or we say, yeah, somebody. We, 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 we really should do that. Don't you think we should really do that? Let's we really do that. But by we, we really mean somebody else should do that. Or that guy with the microphone up there should do that. Or, or that tall guy who plays the guitar. I'm glad he's sticking around. You know, he's got a really good voice. Maybe he can write some songs about that. We should really do that. But really what we mean when we say that, somebody else should do that. But how does this work? Well, this is where we flip back to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul I mean, in itself is an incredible story. Paul was one of the biggest opponents of, of this early Christianity, of this early church, because when Jesus died and rose again from the dead and this movement got started, he, along with other religious leaders, considered this blasphemous that Jesus could be the Messiah. And so they took it upon themselves, and Paul took it upon himself to go around from town to town, round up followers of Jesus, especially the leaders, put them in the prison, and, and sometimes even oversee their execution. And then Jesus appears to Paul. Paul has an encounter with Jesus face to face. He gives his life to Jesus, and he goes from being one of the biggest opponents of this Jesus movement to being one of the biggest proponents. And instead of going from city to city, rounding up followers of Jesus to imprison and kill them, he gives his life going from city to city to tell people about Jesus. And in this letter, this uh, letter to the Corinthians, it's called 2 Corinthians, but it's probably actually the third letter he wrote. We don't have the second one. When you read through this letter, you realize there's some tension that Paul has with the people he's writing to. Because he's, he's come and he's, he's visited them a couple times. He's told them about Jesus. This, this, this small church has, has begun to grow in Corinth. But then others have come and said, who's Paul? And they started preaching a different message. And so Paul from afar realizes, man, they're, they're, they're kind of disowning me. And Paul defends himself, not for his own sake. We see, we see Paul giving his life, so he's not worried about his ego. What he's worried about is this other message. Because Paul says, I believe in this message of grace, that Jesus died for me, period. That's all I need. I cannot add to this. 
anymore. It is what Jesus has done for me. And any other message that, that we would add to this salvation, that we would somehow earn our favor from God or earn our salvation, is Paul considers it dangerous because that is not the way to God. This is a gift God has given us. And so we see this tension in Paul has been defending himself, but not in the sense where I am so great. He's talking about all that he has suffered. He said, look what I have given. I have, I have nothing to gain from this. And then in this chapter 5, starting in verse 14, he gets even more personal. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. This is why I do. Controls us. This is not just why I'm motivated. It wasn't just a sermon I heard one time, and, and for 15 minutes I thought I should do this. I mean, because of what Jesus means to me and what he has done for me and how he has loved me, I'm controlled. I can't, I can't choose anything else. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't, I don't see anybody from a human point of view. So the person who seems to have it all together, I, I look at them, and, and yes, they have everything maybe I want. They have everything that it looks like the world could want, but inside I see brokenness because they need Jesus. We're my enemy. Paul probably felt this many times. Those who would assail him, those who would abuse him, those who would beat him, those who would run him out of town because they didn't want to hear about this message of grace. Paul says, no, I, I see the brokenness in there. I don't see them as my enemy. I see the brokenness there. We regard, him th we, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Can you hear the personal tone here? This isn't Paul standing up in front of a, a college theology class, coldly giving this lecture. Paul's saying, I was a new creation. I was dead and I was alive, but I was old, and now God has made me new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was re reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul gives this image, and he uses it elsewhere, that we were enemies of God. When you have to be reconciled to somebody, it's because you were in opposition of one another. We were in opposition of God. Because of our sin and our brokenness in God, I don't need you. We are separated from God, but, but Jesus reconciled us to God. Not because of anything we did, not because we took a step towards God and we did something that impressed him, but because Jesus came to rescue us. And again, Paul's thinking about himself. Paul's thinking, I killed people. I oversaw the stoning of Stephen. Stephen died at my hands. I was watching I said, yes, this is a good thing. I didn't want to get my hands dirty, but they, they threw their coats at my feet. And I watched Stephen, who loved Jesus, die. I was an enemy of God, but now God has reconciled himself to me through Jesus. And then Paul, in verse 20, gives an incredible one-sentence job description of, of what he's doing with the rest of his life. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
And of course, Paul is using we. I mean, he, he says this is with him and Timothy and maybe some of other his co-workers as he writes this letter. But it's not just we as in Paul and the leaders. Paul is, is being personal here. He says, I was reconciled to God. You can be too. Paul considers himself an ambassador. Let's talk about this word ambassador for a minute. What is an ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who comes from, from a king or a country, a political leader, to, to do their will, to implore people on their behalf, to do good for those who, who, whom they were sent, by whom they were sent, and to do their will, to, to make an appeal on their behalf. And Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ. And Paul pauses and thinks, this is this is who I am. This is what I'm giving my life to. Paul would eventually die being an ambassador for Christ. Paul says it's God making his appeal through us. And this is an incredible thing. I mean, as I was wrestling with this this week, and whenever I think about this, I think, God, you're so much better at this than, than I am. I mean, we, we've got this wall praying for one, and, and mine is up there. Um, my one is John. We'll talk about this in a few minutes. But we, we, in the fall, we built this wall, and, and we said we're going to write down the name of one person who is local that we're going to be praying for every single day. My one is a guy named John. He's the dad of, of one of my daughter's best friends. Neat guy, doesn't know Jesus. We had lunch a little over a week ago. And as I'm recalling this lunch, we didn't, we didn't talk about anything spiritual. We just, we just talked about family. We talked about what's going on in our lives. We talked about how his job was doing. We talked about how his kid who was sick is doing. We talked about my daughter and how it's all going. And as I reflected on that, you know, he's my one. I think, Jesus, you could have done so much better. Like, wouldn't it have been better for John, for, for, for Jesus to sit down at that table at lunch? Right? I'm sure Jesus could have used a little bit of good barbecue, right? For Jesus to sit down, talk to John, just appear to John, like, why me? God, why are you making your appeal through me? But this is how God has set it up. And we go back to this idea of mission, of this great commission where, where Jesus appears to his followers and says, now it's, it's your turn. Jesus has died. He has, he has completed his work on the cross. It was necessary for this mission, but in a very real way, he hands this mission off to his followers. And this is true in our lives in, in two ways. One, the way that we usually think. When we, when we think about evangelism or, or telling people about Jesus, individual, one-on-one, -on -one, my neighbor. The way that we put it here um, at, at Flourishing Grace is we are leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's why we exist. We do this as people, but we do this as a church. Some people ask the question, well, is this something we do you know, as a neighbor? Is this something I do on my own? Or is this something that we do as a church? And the answer is yes. But it's more than just an activity. It's more than just this is, this is why we, this is our purpose. God in his wisdom has determined that people should find their way to Jesus through other followers of Jesus. Now, do we hear stories about, about just crazy visions sometimes happening in, in the Middle East and, 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 and people just realizing that, that, that 
there's, there's a God and they have a dream and Jesus, yes, we, we, we do that. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, chances are you can point your spiritual heritage back to somebody who was a follower of Jesus and was an ambassador for Christ in some way. For me, it was a guy named Matt. Uh, we were best friends in high school. We played every single sport together. And we slept over at Matt's house. You had to go to church. And, and Matt invited me to youth group, and, and I went and I made fun of the youth pastor's games, which is probably why the, God made me be a youth pastor for 12 years. <laughs> but he was an ambassador. He wasn't perfect, but he pointed me to Christ. Everybody here, if you are a follower of Jesus, can point to somebody who showed you the way to Jesus, an ambassador. And why do we do that? Is it just because this is the job that, that God has given us? Well, it's part of it. But Paul ends this passage. It'll be up here on the screen in verse 21. For our sake, for my good, because he loved me, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin. Not because he was sinful. Jesus walked this earth perfectly, given every opportunity to sin, and yet was sinless. But on the cross, Jesus bore your sin and bore my sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And not in the sense that all of a sudden we would behave perfectly, but this great exchange happened on the cross. And then when we become followers of Jesus, Jesus took our sin when he hung there on the cross. But he gave us, the theological word here is imputed, he, he gives us, he gives it to our credit, his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, God does not see my sin. God does not see me complain yesterday when my weekend away was cut short because we had kids get sick. God doesn't see me be short with my kids. God doesn't see my judgmental heart. He doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness. What better news could there be? Now, honestly, if we grew up in church, sometimes this doesn't hit us. But for Paul, this is deeply personal. This isn't a lecture. This is Paul in his mind just seeing himself, seeing Stephen die, wandering from town to town, arresting followers of Jesus as an enemy of God. And Paul says, what a miracle that all that sin Jesus took upon himself and he handed me his righteousness so that when God sees me, he sees Jesus works. This is the most incredible news anybody's ever heard. And believe it or not, it's a heck of a lot better than a Chipotle burrito. So what do we do? Well, friends, this week I was praying. Like I, I wanted like a pithy one sentence. I mean, I wrote this sermon five times, no joke. I finished it on Wednesday and it's been written four times since then. What is the sentence that would make you want to do this? What are the steps? Maybe we just don't know what to do. Maybe you're socially awkward like me. Maybe you went to math camp. We should have hung out at math camp together. Maybe you sit at lunch with somebody like me. This person knows, needs to know Jesus, but I don't always know what to say. 
But then I realized something. When you see somebody drowning in a pool, a lake, or a river, you don't jump in because you're confident in your breaststroke. You don't say, well, I was on varsity as a, as a high school student. Say, so, yeah, I, th- I think I'm ready to jump in. Yeah, I remember everything from my, my, my uh, swimming lessons when I was a kid. I'm ready to jump in. No, you jump in because somebody is dying. They are drowning. And will you do it perfectly? Maybe not. Will a lifeguard need to see who's had a little bit more training need to jump in and save? Maybe. I don't know. But you jump in because you see a need. Friends, why haven't you jumped in? Who is it in your life that God has given you this opportunity? And you say, well, I, I don't know. You know, we, we do these things. We hunt. We see each other in the driveway. But I don't know if I can cross that line and, and talk about church or talk about their background. Listen, I get that. I do this so imperfectly. I have a brother that honestly, I, I think about the last five years and, and I talk to him so much about Jesus and, and he needs to know Jesus, but I'm just like, God, I've, I've told him everything I know to tell him. I don't know what else to do. I feel like a failure sometimes. I get that. But we don't jump in because we're going to do it perfectly. We jump in because there is a need and somebody is drowning. Now again, it's not us doing it on our own. Jesus said, I will be with you always. But in his wisdom, he has made us ambassadors. So here's how we're going to finish. In the fall, we created this wall, right? When I say we, I mean other people who have far greater talents than I do. I think I bought pizza one night for, for the work team. But besides that, it's beautiful. Here's the idea. We challenged everybody to pick one person who is local. I know you got a great Aunt Sue in Hagasaw. Okay, that's great. But we're looking for somebody who you're going to see regularly that's local, that you're going to pray for. They need to know Jesus. They don't know Jesus yet. We ask you to put their name on the wall. Just one. Are there many? Yes. But just one. Because so many of us need to start there. And we challenged you to pray for that person every single day. Look for opportunities to share Jesus and let us know when they come to know Jesus. Like I said, mine's right there. His name's John. So here's how we're going to finish. If you've already written a name down on the wall, we ask you not to write down another name. Just stick to your one. And so during this time, Brett is going to uh, play a song, just a little bit of music, and we're going to take three to five minutes. And I want you to go find your one and find four others to pray for. And I want every single name on this wall prayed for this morning. If you've never written a name on the wall. I'm challenging you to do that today. Pick one person who's local, just one, and pray for them today. Write down their name, pray for them, look for opportunities to point the way to Jesus. Let us know when they come to Christ. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, listen, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope that this morning, if you've ever been annoyed, and chances are if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is probably true of you, if you've ever been annoyed when somebody has, has tried to share Jesus with you and it's been awkward or invited you to church, uh, promised you lunch or whatever it is, handed you a book, 
Listen, I know that we don't get it right all the time. But the love of Christ controls us, compels us. Because the only source of life that we have ever known is Jesus. And we want to share that with you. After we get up and we go pray, write your name on the wall if you need to do one. I'm going to come back, um, stand here, and I'm going to close us in prayer. But I ask you to do this. Don't leave. Like, if this isn't your thing, fine, just, just sit at the chair, but don't get up and get another cup of coffee. Because, friends, God has put us here to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. As a community, as small groups, as serving teams, and as individuals. And if we don't, look for ways to be ambassadors. And we're saying no to the one who rescued us. So this time, please stand up. We have markers over here on the left side over here. Take about three minutes. If you've never written a name, write down a name. If you have, find your name, pray for that, and four others. I'll see you in a few minutes.